if you get a normal pack of eggs from this company that is not cage-free, the only difference between those eggs and cage-free eggs is that the doors are open on the sides of the pens that the chickens are laying eggs in. What is up, you guys? Tyler Nico back here with another Duel of the Day episode featuring choosing natural over processed foods. And now, if you followed us last time, uh, we did talk about the importance of water. And one of our Duel of the Day, Duel of the Days, was to track your water consumption for a week and see if you hit your goal, hit some markers, uh, didn't drink a lot of water or anything. Uh, I know we, we kept track. And we're definitely noticing a difference when we were holding ourselves accountable for the water we were drinking and keeping track throughout the day. Uh, it was just a lot easier to stay hydrated and hitting that that water consumption goal. So let us know uh, how that worked for you, if you had any new ideas that worked for you guys. So when talking about natural over processed foods here, we're just going to hit a couple highlights of answering the question of, is everything truly in moderation? Uh, what are the cost of natural foods opposed to processed? And then we're going to hit some cool topics on seed oils and uh, linoleic acid, which is a cool topic uh, that I'm pretty excited to share with you here. But first is I think whenever we talk about a diet or food type episode, it's super important to share uh, your personal experiences. And, um, you know, Nico, I know you've had some cool, cool experiences in your life uh, in, in this area. And uh, I know you might have mentioned it a few times here, but I think it's important to uh, begin the episode here with both of us talking about this to get a good frame of reference. So um, yeah. let us have it, man. Yeah, I think personal experiences are really good to hear about whenever you hear people talk about diet. And for me in particular, I've gone through a huge transformation. At one point, I was around 280 to 300 pounds, and now I just weighed myself this morning. I'm 195. So basically, I've lost 100 pounds. I've also experienced a lot of different types of food in that journey, both processed foods and a lot cleaner, more natural-based foods that we're going to talk a lot about today. Uh, and one of the first stories that I think is important to realize is something that I heard from my mom. And this has to do with the marketing of food. So what you're going to be presented with when you go into a grocery store and just for reference, my mom works for the second largest graphic arts company in the United States. She services and, and handles clients like Hershey, Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark, a lot of big ones. And one of her clients is, uh, I'm not going to say the name for this story, I have no <laughs> privacy, privacy concerns, but there's a food manufacturer and chickens and eggs are a part of their business. And she was speaking with the director of marketing. And the question she asked the guy was like, what's a common misconception that you feel customers have with the products that you put out? And he's like, without hesitation, cage-free eggs. And here's why. If you get a normal pack of eggs from this company that is not cage-free, the only difference between those eggs and cage-free eggs is that the doors are open on the sides of the pens that the chickens are laying eggs in. So it's literally the exact same chickens, the exact same eggs, but because they're laying eggs while the doors are open, they're all of a sudden cage-free. And here's the funny part. Because the chickens know that there's predators outside, they don't go outside, so it's literally no different than if the doors were closed. And you end up paying more for, air quotes, cage-free eggs. So... I think it's important to note as we talk about natural over process that you not only have to understand what the label means, like what, what you're buying, but also the ingredients. Uh, look at the ingredient label, understand what certain ingredients are and what they mean, what they do to your body. Because a lot of the stuff that you find in the middle of the store uh, is is real bad. <laughs> it has a lot of questionable ingredients. So... Uh, st stay away from from that area is what I what I would recommend. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And like, really, that 
that cage free <laughs> egg story is just yeah, it's just very telling uh, of how I just feel like big companies and corporations like feel like we're all just idiots, you know. And, and honestly, yeah. it's worked for them, right? Yeah, for a long time. <laughs> for a really yeah. long time, and you know, I think it's just us being educated consumers that is really going to be the difference in when we're trying to choose more natural foods and not falling for these, you know, cage free or free range or whatever the verbiage yeah. is. Um, but the the funny part is, and, and I don't know if, if you've been paying attention much to um, uh, Paul Saladino's Instagram recently, but he's been doing a lot of like little Whole Foods videos. Where okay, yeah, I saw he, the one on, um, I think it was probably Cito. It's the one you sent me earlier today, I think. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, so that was on, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember what the food was. Yeah, and that's why I was drawing it, Blake out. I was like, I know what he's talking about. I don't, I don't know, but he's there yeah. was that one really long one uh, that that was extremely interesting. But he's done like much smaller snippets, and and actually, there's a few times he's actually asked people like behind the meat counter or something that it's like it says organic beef or something along those lines, and he's like, so is this? grass fed grass finished is it grass fed grain finished like what is it you know why is this organic beef and the guy was like well it's just it it is grass fed but then it's you know it's it's corn and soy fed for the rest of its life but it's organic corn and soy so it's like all right (laughs) so not not any better than uh just traditional you know, meat packing plant. But, um, I mean, really to touch on my personal experience, uh, before we move any farther in just terms of dieting is, uh, you could probably classify me in the terms of a, a yo-yo dieter over the last, like, I don't know, eight, eight years or so. Um, I, I feel like I've always kind of felt that I am heavier than I should be or want to be. There was that uh, my freshman summer of college when I came back to New York and was working at Oak Hill and it was that summer where it didn't rain for 79 straight days. Ouch. And, you know, there we didn't really get any days off or anything. So seven days in a row, 5 a.m. to 6, 6.30 p.m., dragging a hose around water and grass on a golf course all day long. And I remember that summer I went from uh, I got back from school, I believe, close to 220, which was my heaviest ever. Now, I'm 6'1", 6'2", played sports my whole life. Um, I'm not using that as an excuse, but, you know, it's not a... Uh, I, I know that the, I have muscle, but there's a little... There's some extra baggage, you know, on the sides yeah. of the the front. But uh, it um, I went from like 220 to 172 in the summer. And that was just of pure exhaustion and falling asleep through dinner and missing meals and all that great stuff. But anyways, when it comes to dieting for me, like I've been searching for things that I agree with, people that I can trust, um, and through a lot of trial and error have finally sort of nailed down on Dr. Paul Saladino, writer of the Carnivore Code, follows a carnivore-ish diet, which is well-raised, ruminant animals, so, you know, primarily cattle, elk, bison, you know, that that gamut of stuff, plus... Um, hooved, hooved animals. Hooved. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that and then some, some fr- fruit and honey. Um, and definitely would encourage anybody that's interested in that to... To go check him out and his stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about him a little bit later on here. Uh, but but that's kind of where I've been coming from. And really honing in on what that looks like in my life currently. And trying to set that up here to get things moving in the right direction. Uh, leading into 2022 uh, where we're at here. So that's just that's a little bit of my background in the world of, yeah. of dieting and natural over processed and, and all that good stuff. But, uh, my little anecdotal story to counter your, not counter, but 
to a side year cage free egg story is uh I, I just remember always hearing when you want to eat healthier perimeter shop kind of like you were alluding to in the uh what you said with avoid yeah, the middle of the store the middle yep i mean if you think about it almost i would say 99 percent of grocery stores are set up where produce uh dairy meat seafood uh, all all of those things, even you know some uh, organic or quote unquote healthy natural food sections are even on the outside of some stores. So if you just walk around the perimeter of the store and buy your food, you probably have a halfway decent diet. Like that's a great start. Yeah, uh, it's obviously stuff that's not good in that area, but that as a general rule of thumb, perimeter shopping is way better than going into the middle of the store. One one hundred percent. So, um, that would be a good rule of thumb if if you're just trying to avoid heavily processed foods and and refined sugary foods. Just yeah, perimeter, and you don't really have to do a whole lot of thinking. But if you're like myself and you want to get a little more into it, um, really diving into like like you said and the the nutrition labels and ingredient lists because i will tell you what when i was first uh hearing about um the dangers or potential dangers i should say of seed oils and linoleic acid and all those things i was like i just opened every cabinet in my kitchen and was looking at all sorts of stuff and dude it is everywhere everywhere the, the funny part for me with that is I, I've actually had a fairly consistent diet for the past couple of years, and I built this diet to be basically super cost-effective, but also get me the nutrients that I need. And when I was building that diet out, I had to look at labels of stuff, nutritional values of things, and that's when I really found out that there was a lot of just a lot of really weird, unexpected ingredients in things that you wouldn't wouldn't expect. Breads have all types of seed oils, like you were just mentioning. That's not necessarily a surprise, but there's certain canned foods that that have stuff that you wouldn't expect. Super high salt levels, sugar where you wouldn't expect it, mm-hmm. and so understanding certain ingredients. And certain ingredients to avoid, especially especially like if you want to start off with a basic one, avoid high fructose corn syrup, please. Yeah, that's that's super. Well, and, and here's the thing. If you do perimeter shopping, you probably will because high fructose corn syrup is normally in sodas. So th- that's that's a pretty easy way to do it. And the other thing that, that I want to make sure we mention, too, before we get into anything more specific is we are not suggesting that everyone should go on a carnivore based diet. We no. we both firmly believe that there is that every single person on this planet is different and thus what they want to eat is different, what they enjoy to eat is different, what their body needs is different. There's certain people with celiac disease. They can't literally cannot have gluten. There's other people that I don't know throw up when they eat tomatoes or they don't like tomatoes. There's certain people that hate cilantro. It doesn't matter. What what we are condoning, what we want to try and show you with this podcast is everyone has that balance between meats, vegetables, healthy fruits, things like that. And just finding that balance is the most important part. And hopefully we're going to give you some good tidbits like perimeter shopping and just understanding your personal <clears throat> balance uh, with food to help you shop better, more efficiently, and understanding the foods and ingredients that are out there. Because um, there's there's a lot of hidden things. M- marketing people like to like to sell products. They don't necessarily <laughs> think about the the effect it has on humans in the process. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, no, good. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, and really, like, one of the first indicators to me on if something is a a food item that I should avoid is what is its shelf life. And if Mm. this thing can be on a shelf for decades, (laughs) probably, probably (laughs) not the healthiest thing. And just with, with the way that I, the way that I think and the things I've been learning is long shelf lives are not 
consistent with an ancestral diet. You know, we, our predecessors would not have eaten anything that has a shelf life of five years. To my yeah. knowledge, I could be could be wrong there, but I highly doubt it. The the only thing I'll throw in there, and this is just because my dad's a packaging engineer, things that are in cans have a longer shelf life simply because there's no oxygen entering the can. So it could be vegetables right in the can. It mm-hmm. looks like it, have, it has a long shelf life, but there's actually like a scientific reason behind that. I think it's good to specify when you're talking, when you're envisioning talking about long shelf life, you're thinking of like crackers or things in a box or chicken in the frozen food aisle or some shit like that, right? Like it's, there are some things that even though they have a longer shelf life, they're not absolutely terrible for you. In general, I'm 100% with you, but I think that's important to, because like, even though you just pointed out the issues with organic, organic vegetables mm-hmm. in cans, even though it has a long shelf life, is not it's not as bad as something else in a box. That's that's the only the only thing that I found when I was doing this stuff. So, no, very very true. And thanks for catching that because obviously a can a can of beans and water is a can of beans and water and i don't yeah. believe i don't believe that there are any preservatives inside that can you know if you look at ingredient lists for a lot of stuff there's not there's especially a, the organic stuff yeah yeah exactly but a lot of things like in any type of uh, i mean you said crackers but in anything like a you know granola bars or different meal bars or stuff there's always something that has like some crazy chemical name and then it's in parentheses as preservative uh and granted those things are good ish inventions i guess that we have figured out to make things last longer to just feed a growing population um but i think that's a good little segue into that's all convenience. And I think that's what our food matrix or food. um, Yeah, we'll just go with matrix. I can't think of a better word uh, consists of is it's just, it's based on convenience and it's why every time at around 11 noon, fast food lines are full in the drive through uh, people load yep. up their carts at the at the grocery store with all sorts of, you know, ready to go foods, bars, you know, sticks of whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there's and, a certain part of that where convenience works. Like, yeah, you've gone you've gone hiking with me. I've gone hiking and mm-hmm. backpacking a lot of my life. Having a bar that you can eat out in the wilderness and not have it go bad like two minutes into the hike, like that's a cool human invention. Yeah. But the here's the difference. You're backpacking. You're doing something physical. You're burning calories. You 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 mm-hmm. need that type of convenience because like otherwise you gotta kill something, make a fire, cook it, skin it, gut it, clean it. There's a lot more process there. And that's the big difference with foods today is we have that convenience, but then we have all the luxuries and comforts of modern day society. And so we sit around, get food basically brought to us, whatever, especially nowadays. Yeah. And we sit there and eat it. We didn't do anything to create that food. It's just conveniently appearing in front of us. So, I mean, think about that too. We did humans have not done that for a very long time. We usually had to like, make our own shit talk to Amish people that like make their own butter and shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, they'll tell you what that's like. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, a thing that just kind of popped in my head, I did want to address is I, I felt like when we were talking about how we were going to structure this episode and things we were going to talk about that we were going to steer away from uh, giving all you guys statistics on like, Hey, if you eat this much processed food, you're X likely more for this and that. Like, I feel like that is pretty much common knowledge at this point. I did not want to overwhelm. Um, And to me, that's just boring. Like I wanted to more talk about just the, the conversation behind just how to, I guess, avoid them. And maybe a few things that people didn't realize 
uh, more so in the processed area. And, and yeah. so I just wanted to point that out to everybody. Cause I was just kind of thinking like, man, should yeah. we be, should we be saying and referencing studies of, you know, all these diseases and stuff that you're, you can potentially get if all you do is eat a bunch of processed food. Like, I think that's a little monotonous and, you know, and no offense to anybody that doesn't know that processed food is going to kill you at some point or at least shorten your life. I would, I would hope that anyone that's in the McDonald's line understands that it's not great. (laughs) That's not a great option, but that's, that's a super good thing to point out. Like we didn't want to focus on data because there's, there's something else there. Like, We've learned, and I've heard about this stuff, about bad stuff about high fructose corn syrup, too much Mm -hmm. sugar intake, different things with oils. I've heard that stuff forever. And so I think what we've started to do as a society, especially the younger generation, we started to ask why. And so why is that food in the grocery store? Why is it being marketed a certain way? And I think it all... Unfortunately, in the world we live in, it starts at the top. And if you look at the USDA recommended My Plate Daily Checklist that's on the government website, they're suggesting six ounces of six ounces of grains a day. And sure, there's actually they increase protein from the food pyramid that I grew up with, but like there's still a big emphasis on processed grains. And here's the I was we were just talking about this before we hit record. When, when people hear grains, one of the first things that comes to mind is bread or something bread related. Mm-hmm. Even though that's only one aspect of technically grains, right? But like, why is that grains there in the first place? What does that mean? Why is that uh, such a high emphasis? And why is there not other information or studies about that, that the USDA supports about different types of diets for different types of people? I mean, that's shit. That's what we started off with. Everyone's different. Everyone's yep. going to have a different type of diet they want. Why is there a one size fits all <laughs> checklist on the government website? Like, uh, I think that's, that's what we wanted to present or part of what we wanted to present today. And that's why, I, yeah, I'm with you on staying away from data because that to <laughs> me is a much more intriguing question. And if, if you think about it and you mentally walk through a grocery store you start to realize there are grains and soy everywhere. Uh-huh. Everywhere. In, in either in like a processed form like a bread or an oil form or something. It's it's insane. And so I think we start to ask those questions, you start to connect the dots and start to see the bigger picture. Yeah, and with the things that you're you're starting to say, I feel like you're egging me on to like go down a crazy (laughs) crazy rabbit holes that i might just have to preface with we might have to do some type of a part two on the actual uh united states food system and how the government subsidizes certain things that we don't need and have excess and that turns into fodder for animals that shouldn't be eating it because that's not their normal diet so then they're they're uh their bodies yeah. change and we eat them. And, and yeah, so we, <laughs> that's the quick little streamlined yes. version of what we could do at a part two here. So I guess yep. uh, pay attention for that. Cause in my opinion, that's a probably a little bit cooler conversation that could lead to some, yeah. some blown minds. But it's definitely important to point out because you start to start to think about why supermarkets are laid out a certain way and and the products that are in the supermarkets and the commercials that you see. And if you understand that and you understand that most of those foods are not really good for you, you start to look for more natural foods, start to go to the vegetable aisle and pick out different stuff that you're going to throw into, I don't know, stir fry. Like even though it's a lot easier to go down one of those middle aisles and buy a, a bar or buy a frozen meal or buy whatever, the exterior parts, the perimeter of most supermarkets is where the true nutrition is and where you're going to get the better foods. And is there levels to this? Yes. Like you're Aldi on the corner that's selling like 
bundles of celery, like, yeah, the celery is probably okay, but like the way you grow it could be better. You know, if it was regenerative yeah. agriculture, as an example, uh, if, if it was, I don't know, aquaponics or something like that, like there's, there's different ways you can actually make those plants grow better, even though that stock of celery at Aldi is still relatively good for you. There's probably even better uh, nutritional value in, in celery that's grown in a different way. So that's important to know too, when you're looking at natural over processed foods. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you said, said in there was, uh, starting to understand how stores are set up, like front, not from the, you know, the perimeter deal that we were talking about, but more from the, why certain things are in certain areas based on what, you know, they want you to buy and stuff. But the other aspect of that to look at is also the cost of these things. The, the price and the cost of these highly processed, highly refined convenience foods is so small in comparison to a lot of the natural whole foods that are, you know, part of the food matrix that what we want. And yep. that to me is one of the bigger issues because it's hard, it's hard for anybody to say to somebody, Hey, you should not eat that. Like, why are you in the McDonald's drive-thru? Why did you just get, some, you know, this bag of chips or pretzels or, you know, this specific type of uh, convenience snack? And if that's all that they can afford or if that's all that they can do yeah. to feed their family, like, who, who am yeah. I to tell them they shouldn't do it? It's just they're just we're set up for failure is what yeah. it seems like. And, uh, you know, again, that, that type of rabbit hole is kind of should be saved for a, a part, yeah. a part two in this. But it's definitely a good thought. I mean, it's in a weird way, it, it supports people that make more money. And unfortunately there's a lot of lower class individuals that just don't have the money to pay for better quality food. And that, again, that's, that's a product of, a large like government and and what's what ha, what we have access to as citizens but again, yeah once you understand some of these things hopefully when people listen to this and they start to understand certain aspects of the food industry they'll start to look at more natural foods they'll start to go to the vegetable area they'll start to look at the ingredient labels and that's the whole point because there is enough data to have like 8,000 years worth of podcasts <laughs> to tell you in scientific ways that processed food is bad. Yep. But we, again, we don't want to do that because you already should know that or at least know that it's out there. And so like, how do you, how do you understand that a little bit better without hearing all of that data? And once you understand they're asked these questions and start to realize that something else is going on, uh, I think you start to, I don't know, get drawn towards more natural food. So I definitely think that's important stuff to, to point out. But yeah, let's, we don't need to go down any political rabbit hole today. That's <laughs> definitely going to be a separate episode. I'm not, I'm not prepared for that stress in no, my life to, yeah, me to, to go yeah. out, out there. So, um, well, that, that kind of, leads to uh something that i definitely want to talk about you know the podcast we both listened to today uh something i mentioned at the at the top of the show here uh is is the the, the danger of seed oils and so yeah. what what a seed oil is is it's anything is a is a highly refined highly processed food i guess you could call it a food but we'll just call it oil i guess uh, anything from cottonseed, safflower, sunflower, vegetable, canola, like literally any oil that you, uh, sesame, I mean, literally any oil that you would cook with. And I will also mention olive oil in this too. However, I don't believe it's actually classified as a seed oil. Yeah. Uh, and when I, we're, when we're done, I, I remember you saying that Paul mentioned like a hierarchy of like good oils to bad. And like, let's definitely mention that at the end of this. Cause 
we're probably going to get specific with which oils have like some bad stuff. And even though olive oil is talked like very highly, uh, people talk highly of uh, olive oil. There are yeah. some things you need to know about it that they do have some negative consequences. So there is there is a little bit of a hierarchy here. It's not everything's not the same. Um, so just point that out before we get technical with seed oils. Yeah, and I th- I think that would be cool to to wrap up at the at the end of this little <clears throat> section here with just what is if you had to make the list, what's the best thing you can use to cook with or consume or what you should avoid all the way down to you know the big group at the end. Obviously, I <laughs> the difference between sunflower and safflower oil is uh, negligible and I don't know yeah. <laughs> what what that is, but there is definitely a clear hierarchy of things you can use. So uh, basically, and, and we'll link a lot of these studies and, as well as the actual podcast, uh, that, that we did listen to. And to start off with that, it was an episode on the fundamental health po- podcast with, uh, Paul Saladino and Tucker Goodrich, uh, talking about, um, the, the seed oil debate, um, when more specifically a, uh, fatty acid called linoleic acid. So the thing that Tucker starts out with is a really cool look at the drug Ramonaban. And basically, Ramonaban is an extremely effective weight loss drug, basically in animal models. It totally eliminates obesity and is highly effective uh, in, in human models as well. Yeah. And it also has some really cool uh, other effects that you know, reduces your HbA1c and other cardiovascular risk markers where they're they weren't really entirely sure why but uh it it did that and essentially what this what this compound this drug does is it blocks the endocannabinoid pathway and for anybody that is familiar with pot smoking uh we hear the term the munchies a lot and so that is that is a part of this pathway and so basically what they would do with this drug is they would inject the animal with that compound or the natural endocannabinoids, which would be 2-AG or anandamide. And they would essentially do, they would take the, take a rat, feed it till it would stop eating. So it wouldn't, it would be totally satiate, satiated, inject the animal with one of these endocannabinoid, um, molecules like i said 2ag or anandamide and basically they would start eating again they would induce something called hyperphagia which is just overeating and then when they would give the ramonaban drug to the rats they would that they wouldn't continue to eat because it totally blocks that pathway now however you might say tyler this drug sounds awesome where could i buy it because it sounds really cool to lose all this weight and eliminate obesity uh, one of the things that they missed with that is it made people want to kill themselves. Um, so li- likely that was pulled from the market. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm laughing at that when it's a pretty serious thing for whoever took that and, you know, yeah. found that as a side effect. But um, just kind of interesting there. But, uh, you know, kind of then he moves on to uh, an NIH study done in 2012 uh, called linoleic acid induces obesity through upregulating 2-AG and anandamide, and noting that this Ramonaban drug blocks this pathway. So through many of these studies, including that one, it, these the scientists that would do that, when they would want to induce insulin resistance or obesity, they would inject these rats or whatever animals they were using with linoleic acid. So literally the thing that is inducing hyperphagia that we are consuming through, through these seed oils. And, and I, there's a lot of other foods and um, places where linoleic acid lies and it's, it's, you're never going to totally avoid it, but it's just, what is the excess is what, uh, people, people are worried about. So 
when you really look at it, it's it's a pretty clear pathway, this endocannabinoid pathway. And so when they were continued looking into how this pathway worked, you know, they discovered in other animal models that um, these cannabinoid receptor blockers only work in the gut, which leads to an alternative pathway that they started testing. So instead of using the... Um, from these first studies with 2-AG and anandamide, they, they looked at a few other molecules uh, specifically that would only be working in the gut. So obviously Ramona band was tossed out. And so now they're trying to find, they are trying to find something else. So another study that will list um, Dipertizio et al looked at some of these peripheral endocannabinoid blockers that were specifically working in the gut. And what they found is that there's actually a circuit that goes from the gut to the brain and back down. And if you cut the vagus nerve, this effect no longer works. So this induction of overeating always depends on a connection from the gut to the brain, which I think is pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. That is a very cool part of that study. Um, so when you're blocking that signal from the gut that has received the 2-AG molecule which i don't i might have skipped over this but two of the metabolites of linoleic acid are 2ag and anandamide so okay, when yeah. that gets broken down sorry i think i missed <laughs> i missed that kind of early um basically so so when uh when you're blocking that signal from the gut that it has received 2ag it tells the brain that yes we want to eat so then the brain sends that signal back down saying yep eat 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 and then when you cut the nerve that blocks that signal. And so we actually use a procedure to block hyperphagia or overeating called gastric bypass. And obviously, I think a lot of people have heard of this. But the reason why gastric bypass is so effective is that these gut sensors are actually, they get severed. So they can't send the signal to the brain to overeat and yeah, that, that vagus nerve gets cut a little bit supposedly during that gastric bypass operation yep and just to uh, i did because you explained a lot there i want to take like a, a yeah pause to quickly <laughs> please quickly, sum, quickly <laughs> summarize so like basically that that remotaband drug showed to block certain pathways those same pathways could be opened using certain cannabinoid receptors that are mainly found in pot those same cannabinoid receptors would give it to rats would cause them to overeat even if they were already stuffed like they had just gotten done eating and once they understood the connection between those cannabinoid receptors the brain and other stuff they realized that it's caused by linoleic acid or it does the same thing and so what we're getting to with all of this info is that linoleic acid which is found in a lot of seed oils is causing people to overeat and that's basically one of the main causes, because especially if you look at it from a fast food perspective, basically everything that you order is touched by oil at some point, like the bread, the oh, fries, yeah. the everything. So like it, the entire thing is going to cause you to overeat. And that's just he was Tyler was going over the science and those studies that showed those pathways. So I want to give a brief summary because there was a little bit of detail there, but it it goes in directly into what we're talking about at the seed oils and, and how we're finding out that they're not really good for you. <laughs> exactly. And th thanks for, for breaking that up for a quick summary there. Cause yep. so we can get lost and I was a little out of breath. So <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was perfect. Um, yep. but so to continue on that gastric bypass, you know, as we know, it, it works for a period of time uh, and then it slowly, stops kind of working and now the the gut is really a very powerful robust organ there and, and it, it actually can grow these sensors back which then allows the brain to start getting this overeating signal yet again which is why you know gastric bypass isn't the end all be all so so, so again just the, the reason mentioning that is it's just another clear demonstration that we know how this pathway works and it's yep, very clear to being full. Yep. It's very clear. And it's, I mean, obviously central to, to the whole 
real issue uh, around linoleic acid there. So um, again, so De Patrizia looks at a bunch of other different fats that induce lino- uh, not that, that induce hyperphagia. So it's not just linoleic acid, but also oleic acid, which is found in olive oil. So an interesting thing that he found was oleic acid produces a molecule called OEA, which is very similar to 2-AG and anandamide that we were talking about. So it also produces um, that, that EAT signal. Uh, so he found in rodent models that were eating excess linoleic acid in conjunction with oleic acid, so there's a little bit of a caveat there, seem to block the production of the your full signal. So again, now you have two hyperphagia signals telling you to overeat from linoleic acid and oleic acid, or sorry, from uh, OEA. And then that stop eating signal doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> so, oops. <laughs> yeah, damn. Um, so, so that right there is just that that piece with, with olive oil there. So just in conjunction with excess linoleic acid. So now I would, I would think, and I would love to see if it was just olive oil and just oleic acid and OEA, what actually happens there. I don't, I don't know that. And they didn't really talk about it. So I don't know if you know that. I I don't know. And I think that's the interesting part. When I was listening to the podcast, I've read tons of different books and seen different studies that talk about the benefits of olive oil, but they're also focused on certain areas of maybe um, neuroregeneration. So like there's certain studies that show that consistent olive oil consumption can help the myelin sheaths regrow on your neurons and your brain. So like there are some beneficial things, but in terms of overeating weight and just being generally healthy, if you pair olive oil with other seed oils, I would say that that's probably not, not a good idea. Um, but it, it's weird because I've, I've seen a lot of good stuff with olive oil, but I think this is a really interesting part of it, at least, at least to understand, okay, if I'm going to use olive oil, I might be tempted to overeat, even though I'm using it for some health purposes that involve brain and stuff like that. Um, and whenever I started hearing this about, seed oils and even olive oil being an issue like that's where i got confused because like i had no idea what other (laughs) options were out there because like after i saw this i was like do i just like spit (laughs) in the pan like like before i like what do i do i don't i don't know so um i don't know if we wanted to get into the hierarchy or not but like yeah that is definitely really really helpful yeah, absolutely. And I definitely throw down this hierarchy and you can tell me if you agree or not. Uh, the The last thing I did want to mention on the, the seed oil and linoleic acid discussion is just a cool little case study in, involving the semen, which are the, uh, it's a Bolivian hunter-gatherer population obviously, oh, yeah. in Bolivia. And so, so some scientists were looking at them as a pop- population and they were discovering they were getting fat. And so, you know, usually a hunter gatherer population is relatively, uh, healthy, you know, lean. You look at the, you look at the Hadza in Tanzania, uh, you know, same thing. So it was just this, the semen a case study is very interesting to me. So they, they were looking at it and they, they made a, a correlation to the, the individuals that owned motorboats, were the ones that were fat. So they were like, yeah, motor- <laughs> if you own a motorboat, you're going to be obese. End of yeah. story, right? Uh, but what they ended up finding is when they had motorboats, they were they had easier accessibility to the uh, local towns or other stores where they could buy some industrial foods. And so when they went back and looked um, at, their, at, their at their camp or... Yep whatnot, uh, they noticed that the people that were consuming a lot of these vegetable oils were the ones that were fat compared to the, the semen that did not have access to these boats to go into these uh, industrial towns and, and buy these yeah. industrial foods. So it's kind of a pretty 
black and white sort of um, line. I think uh, the line Tucker uses is there's multiple converging lines of evidence yeah. uh, pointing to this being a serious problem. Um, and so really uh, it's much better. This whole topic is much better learned and heard from those guys than it is us. And yeah. so I would definitely encourage it if, if this was at all somewhat, interesting this seed oil topic or brand new to you please go over uh do some more research on your own because that's that's what we want to do we want to facilitate everybody to to learn yeah. more you know on their own there so to to wrap this little piece up with uh the hierarchy uh, of i guess cooking substances you could call it because well it's it's a it's a fat so yeah uh, my that's the other thing any listener should know is, is my dad's a chef. And one of the things that they teach you in chef school is you need to have oil or some type of fat in a pan as you're heating it up. And that's basically for everything. If you put down a steak, vegetables, whatever. So yep. a lot of people use oil for that. But there's, there, is, there is a hierarchy. So that's what we want to show here. I mean, from, from what – well, you, you said you had a couple, right? Yeah. 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 So, so, so the way, the way that I've, I've read it and the way that I believe it is the, the, the best thing you can throw in the pan is grass fed tallow. And that is literally just, uh, beef or cattle fat from around organs. It's like organ fat. Um, and that it's grass fed. It doesn't taste all funky. It's the best. I mean, my opinion, it's the best Mm -hmm. thing next behind that would be grass fed ghee, which is just clarified butter. Uh, and then, Going down from there, I saw olive oil was next. Yep. Yeah. A, I think. As a like a quote unquote moderate or mm-hmm. good or moderate thing, and then literally everything else is like just yep. avoid like the freaking plague, dude. Yep. Yeah. If you're, I know, in especially in the South, canola oil is used fucking every everywhere. Do not use that. Do not use vegetable oil. Do not use sunflower, safflower, grapeseed, whatever. If you ha- if you don't have access to tallow or ghee, buy olive oil and just use it sparingly and try not to mix in any other seed oils with that. Yeah. Um, and and if you if you can get to tallow or ghee, definitely use that. Um, for for my personal experience, I've only just started to use that in the last couple of months, and it's awesome. It's, it's just a little different process you have to do. You're, you're not pouring it out of something. You, I have to, like, scoop it out of a jar. So, like, that's the only difference. But it everything tastes the same. It's delicious, and I know that it's good for me. So, um, yeah, just look, look into it. I think that that's an important thing to know. That there's a general hierarchy, and I think that's the next thing we wanted to touch on is, like, Understanding this information is important, but understanding why it's important to you, the listener, is even more important. You have to, what, what's your health worth to you? Like, are you going to continue to eat processed foods that you probably know aren't really the best for you? Or are you going to mm-hmm. take a little bit of time to investigate some stuff and make a better decision for yourself long term? We all want to be there for our, for our friends and family throughout life. Then part of the way that we do that is having a good diet so we can be healthy and we're not in a bed or in a hospital when we're 50 because <laughs> we ate McDonald's <laughs> all our life. So, no, ab- absolutely. And I mean, that's just, that's a great question. And, um, I mean, dude, I'm, you got anything else you want to touch on here? I, I don't think so. I mean, I really hope that. We gave people some good information about seed oils, about natural foods, and just different different things to look into. Um, and just to start asking yourself that why. Start pushing yourself to some new answers. You change your questions, you change your life. Yep, absolutely. And just to begin to bring, bring this one home here, um, I did have, as we always do, set up a cool duel today for everybody. Um, however, as I'm looking at it, it seems pretty monotonous, tedious, and very involved. And I don't know that everybody is going to want to want to do this. So I'm going to restate the question that that Nico just kind of finished there, and 
I, th- I believe one of the biggest arguments that even I have, my wife has sometimes, is that eating what should be a healthy, good diet is expensive. It's too expensive. And I know we kind of briefly touched on that here. And so a common rebuttal is this stuff costs too much, you know, whatever. And so I want to reiterate the question that Nico said in closing here for uh, the duel of the day is literally what, what is your health worth to you? And I think if you ponder that question this week, I think you can come up with some cool answers because to me, I mean, we have, uh, I realize everybody doesn't have a lot of ex- extra money laying around. Um, but for me, there's definitely areas where I can tighten up in order to have extra funds to eat the way that I believe that I should. And so I want to reiterate that to everybody is, is going out and getting bombed on the weekend really going to help you in the long run? Is that going to keep you around longer for your family, your kids, spouse, mm-hmm. your friends, whoever? Uh, is that a better use of your money when you could be purchasing some of these natural foods we've been talking about and skipping out on the processed? I don't know, but I do think that's a great thing. Everybody should ask themselves Absolutely. here after this is, is again, what is your health worth to you? Because I got to tell you, I haven't had any super big health issues, knock on wood yet. And there are a lot of people that I know that do have health issues. And it's just, to me, it's not worth it. Live in whatever lifestyle yep. you live. Um, you can always improve it. So let's yep. let's do that moving on. So I like that's it, all man. I got, man. Yeah. No, it's a great question. Hopefully everyone enjoys that and, and give us some deep thought. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening today to Duel the Day. Please stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be talking about how sleep impacts health. Uh, both Tyler and I wear the the amazing device called Whoop, and we have some really cool data to, to show with, and talk about with that one. Uh, so uh, give us a follow on all the major podcasts. Uh, applications and be sure to go to our website to subscribe at duelthedaycom we'll see you next time on duel the day and as always begin the duel win the day peace y'all peace